All right, well, let's turn in our Bibles now to Romans chapter 11. And our sermon passage this morning is uh, Romans 11, verses 28 to 32. And as you're turning there, I want you to imagine with me that you were a God-fearing Gentile in the first century, in the days uh, just after Jesus. You were perhaps dissatisfied with the pantheon of gods worshipped by your fellow Romans, and slowly you had been drawn to the Jewish synagogue. And there were some things about the Jews' religion that you were not prepared to fully embrace, but the one God that they worshipped and had worshipped from ancient times was compelling to you. And the promise of in their scriptures of a coming king who would restore the brokenness of the world was appealing to you as you saw how troubled the world was and your life was. And then one day as you were sitting in the synagogue with your fellow God-fearers, there was a new face in the crowd, a man named Paul, who claimed that the one God had sent the Savior that he had promised in the Scriptures. And that that Savior was a man named Jesus, who was born in Nazareth, or was from Nazareth, and who had been crucified in Jerusalem. But God had raised him from the dead. And he claimed that all of this had been spoken of in the Jewish Scriptures. That created quite a stir. Some in the synagogue, some of the Jews in the synagogue, believed what Paul said. And so did you. And so did some of the other Gentiles who had come to hear of this one God. But not all the Jews believed what Paul said. And some of those who rejected his message were not content not to believe. But they began stirring up trouble for Paul in the city. The city became divided, and hostility against Paul reached a point where some of the Jews and Gentiles, along with some of the city leaders, tried to stone Paul and his companions so that Paul had to flee the city and go and preach elsewhere. So now you have no teacher. You are new to following Jesus. You are new to seeing how the Old Testament scriptures are fulfilled in this Jesus And what are you to do now? How are you to feel about these unbelieving Jews who stirred up trouble and ran the messenger who brought you the good news out of town? Are these people your enemies? That's just a what-if scenario for us. Something interesting to imagine. But it was real in the first century. The scenario that I have just described and asked you to imagine is based on what really happened when Paul went to a town called Iconium in Acts chapter 14. And the question remains relevant for us today. How are we to think about those Jews who not only do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but may even be hostile towards those who do? Paul has just told us in Romans chapter 11 that in the future, 
God is going to save the Jewish people in mass, that one day all Israel will be saved. But what about right now? What about in Paul's own day when many of the Jews not only did not believe the gospel, but were hostile toward the gospel? How were the many Gentiles who did believe to respond to that situation and to those people? Let's hear what Paul has to say in Romans eleven twenty-eight to 32. He says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Now, we have seen over the last several weeks, we've been working through Romans 9 and Romans 10 and Romans 11. We have seen that God has an overarching plan for the Jews as well as the Gentiles. And that his work among the Jews and the Gentiles now is consistent with what he did and said even in the Old Testament scriptures. And we have also seen since verse 13 of chapter 11 that Paul is addressing the Gentiles in particular because there is a concern that he has that many of the Gentiles will adopt, believing Gentiles will adopt a posture of arrogance toward the Jews and toward the unbelieving Jews probably in particular. Because the Jews who believed have been grafted into the olive tree that the unbelieving Jews have been broken off from. And Paul says, you need to be careful not to become arrogant toward those branches. Because the only reason you've been connected to this tree is because you have believed. And if those branches that were broken off because they didn't believe, if they repent and believe, guess what? They'll be grafted back in. And if you fail to believe, you will be broken off, just as they were. And he said, I want you to know what God's plan is so that you won't be wise in your own eyes. I want you to know that there's a partial hardening on Israel now, while the fullness of the Gentiles is brought in. And then once that fullness has been brought in, then God will uh, bring about the salvation of the Jewish people as a whole, all Israel will be saved. So the way things are right now is not the way they will always be. So don't think of yourself too highly, Paul says, to the Gentiles who believe. And then he says this in verse 28. He says, As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So, The reality on the ground, though in the future there's going to be this salvation of the Jews in mass, the reality on the ground in Paul's day is that most of the Jews have rejected the Messiah and not only rejected him, but many of them are hostile toward Paul and others who are trying to tell people that Jesus is the Messiah. And so 
He's been run out of town. He's even had people chase him from one town to another. Not, not content to keep Paul from preaching in their own town. They would go to the next town and try to prevent Paul from preaching there as well. And so, how are those who believe supposed to see these Gentile or these uh, Jews that are hostile toward the gospel? How are they to think of them? Well, Paul does not deny that in regard to the gospel, they are enemies. They have made themselves enemies of the gospel and enemies of all who have received the gospel. Paul even says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 16, he says that uh, some of these, some of the Jews, the, the ones that are hostile toward the gospel, he said they displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Paul does not whitewash that. He does not overlook that. He does not pretend like that is not happening. After all, it's happening primarily to him. So he says and acknowledges that there is a real sense in which the unbelieving Jews are enemies of believers. In fact, he even says they are enemies for your sake. And uh, I think those are correct who say that the for your sake here means that them being enemies of the gospel has actually worked out to your benefit. Because that's one of the things that Paul has said earlier in this chapter, and he'll say again in this chapter, that the hostility of the, gen- of the Jews toward the gospel is what sent the gospel to the Gentiles. And so, though they have made themselves enemies of the gospel, that's actually turned out to your benefit. That, that happened for your sake. That was for your good. So, even while they are hostile towards you, and towards the gospel you have received, don't forget that there's been a blessing in that for you. But that's only half of the story. And what Paul has been concerned uh, with in much of this chapter is he has been concerned that Gentiles, like you and I, like most of us, uh, that Gentiles will take half of the story and then jump to a wrong conclusion. Well, because Jews were broken off so that I could be grafted in, I have reason to puff out my chest and be proud. Paul says, no, 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 no. They were broken off so that you could be grafted in. But they can be grafted back in again too. And you can be broken off if you don't continue to believe. So let's all be humble here and not proud. Here he says, Let's acknowledge they have made themselves enemies of the gospel. But here's the other side of the story that we cannot forget. As regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So in one sense, they are enemies. But in another sense, they are beloved. What does he mean by that? Well, here he's speaking of uh, their election as a nation, that God chose the nation of Israel to be his people, and he set his love upon them, and he showed them his love in fulfillment of the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and David, to the patriarchs. Here's how Moses said it in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8. He said to the nation of Israel, he said, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you. That's what Paul means by election. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob about making his, their offspring numerous and blessing them and making them a great nation and, and all these things. And Moses says to the people of Israel, after they've been brought out of Egypt, that's why God did this for you. He's keeping his promises. He chose you as a people, and not because you were awesome, not because you were the most powerful nation on the earth. You weren't. You were a little bitty, tiny nation. But He chose you, and He loved you, and He's keeping His promises to you. And Paul says to us in Romans 11, God hasn't stopped loving Israel. He has not stopped fulfilling the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Even while, as a whole, Uh, the majority of them are rejecting the gospel and many of them are hostile towards the gospel, God's love is still set on them. He still has a plan for them. He's still working out His promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So make sure you don't focus only on half of the story. Though they are enemies, they are beloved as well. And how does that work? Verse 29 explains, For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. God doesn't say one minute, you're my chosen people. And the next minute, nah, never mind. When He called Israel, when He set them apart as His people, there have been times where they have endured judgment. Right? Hosea even said to them at one point, you are, God says, you are not my people. But there will be a day when you are my people again. Right? In Hosea 1 and 2. God will not utterly abandon His people. As Paul said at the beginning of chapter 11, has God rejected His people? No, absolutely not. He still has a plan for them. Israel under judgment is not Israel unloved. Israel under judgment is not Israel utterly forsaken. We must hold together what Paul holds together. Israel is not unblemished. To whatever extent the Jews are hostile toward Jesus and the gospel, they are enemies of the gospel. But they are still the offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they are still beloved of God. And we should think of them as such. We cannot be one-sided here on one side or the other. We cannot pretend like Israel is perfect. And we ought not to act like Israel is exclusively an enemy of the gospel. No, Israel is an enemy of the gospel. Unbelieving Israel has made herself an enemy of the gospel. But she is still beloved. And God still has a plan for her. And... If God's calling of Israel is irrevocable, that's good news for us too. Because that means God's calling of us is also irrevocable. You will not go back on it. 
Then Paul lays out in a, a beautiful but fairly complex summary how all this works together and what God is up to in verses 30 and 31 and 32. He says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So let's pause right there. Here's what he's reminding believing Gentiles about. Don't forget that at one time you were disobedient. You've not always trusted God. You've not always believed in the Messiah. You've not always been seeking to walk in His ways. Paul reminds us of this at length in Ephesians chapter 2, that there was a time when we were outsiders, when we were enemies, when we were hostile, when we had no God, when we had no hope, when we had no promises that we could lay claim to. But God has saved us and shown mercy to us and brought us into the one body of Christ. So he, he reminds us here, you were at one time disobedient to God. So, yes, many of the Jews are in rebellion against God right now, but don't forget, you've been there too. There's always a danger, once we have escaped danger, of scoffing at the people who are still in it, as though we've never been there ourselves. Paul says, don't do that. You were at one time disobedient, but now you have received mercy because of their disobedience. It is precisely because the Jews, by and large, have rejected the gospel that the gospel has come to you. So that you heard it and believed it and received it and received the mercy of God that He has shown in Christ. Their disobedience is the very reason why you have received mercy. It's as though you were stuck in a pit and there was no, you got yourself in it, but there was no way you could get yourself out of it. And the only reason you got out of it is because somebody else fell in it. And somehow when they fell in, that made it possible for you to be rescued. So now are you going to turn around and jeer at the person who's down in the pit? Who's falling into the pit is part of what got the rescuer there to get you out? That doesn't make any sense. Don't do that, Paul's saying. But then here's the other side of it, verse 31. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So Israel has disobeyed. They have rebelled against God. They've rejected the Messiah. It's their ultimate act of idolatry, worse than anything they did in the Old Testament. Worse than the golden calf is the rejection of Christ. Right? So they have been, been disobedient. In order that, so here's the purpose, in order that by the mercy shown to you, so remember their disobedience leads to God showing Gentiles mercy, and the mercy shown to the Gentiles is going to lead to the Jews receiving mercy. Remember, that's part of God's plan. The, the Jews reject it, so it's sent to the Gentiles, and then it's sent to the Gentiles. Why? So that the Jews will become jealous of the blessings He's pouring out on the Gentiles, and that they too will turn to the Lord and receive the blessings promised to all those who receive the Messiah, Jesus. 
So they have disobeyed so that we will receive mercy, so that by the mercy we've received, they will receive mercy. So we were in the pit, and we got ourselves in there. And to be honest, based on what Paul has said about the Gentiles, we weren't real concerned about getting out. We weren't, remember, we weren't the ones who were seeking God. We weren't trying to be righteous with God. The, the Jews were trying to be right with God by keeping the law. Gentiles didn't even care. And yet it's the Gentiles who have been rescued. So we were down in this pit. We got ourselves in and weren't even really interested in getting out of. But when Israel fell into the pit, we got rescued. And we got rescued so that Israel would look up from the bottom of the pit and go, I need to be rescued. And that was supposed to be my rescuer. I, I, I want that. I, I want to be saved. I need help getting out of this pit. I didn't even think I was in a pit. I didn't think I needed to be rescued. I thought I could keep the law and I was going to be on God's side and be alright. But now I realize I'm in a pit and I need a deliverer. I need a savior. That's how God planned it to work. That's how it's going to work. That's how it's working even now. And so Paul sums this up in verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. And this last line is what propels Paul into this doxology in verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. What God has done is He has so worked among both Jews and Gentiles that they will all realize the depth of their need for His mercy so that He can show them all mercy so that every Jew and every Gentile that's gathered before the throne at the end will say, I'm not here because I'm an offspring of Abraham. I'm not here because I kept the law. I'm not here because of where I was from or what language I spoke or what kind of person I was. I am here by the mercy of God. That's why God is doing all this this way. Because God works in such a way that He gets all the glory. He works in such a way that He thwarts all human pride. And we're all prone to it. So that's a serious work that needs to be done. And that's why God has carried out His work this way. So that all of us recognize our disobedience, recognize our need for mercy, recognize that the only way we can be saved is through the grace of God. So that at the end, we're all in the same position. This means that all of us have reason to be humble before God and in our attitudes towards one another. If somebody's still in the pit, why are they still in the pit? Because they're not as smart as you, or strong as you, or spiritual as you? No? How come you're not still in the pit? Because while you were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still weak, 
While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. It's because of His mercy. It's not because we avoided it. Not because we were able to get ourselves out of it. We were rescued. So we must not act like we didn't need to be lifted out of that pit, just like those who are still in there need to be lifted out. Instead, we should pray for the rescuer to come. And we should pray and praise God for His mercy. And if you're in the pit, know that there's a deliverer. Know that Jesus is ready to rescue anyone who lifts up their hand and says, I'm in need and I believe. Save me. And He will do it. Let's pray.